Welcome to Fencing Stories with me, Nicholas Partridge. And me, Jason Brody, for your monthly podcast all about fencing. Jason, I understand you went to the Cambridge Open recently. I was. I was there. I was competing in the men's epee. How did it go? It was a really nice competition. It's always a good competition to do. It's the first one of the year, so everybody's a little bit Christmasified, if that's a word. Is it a word? Do you mean one too many mince pies? That's the one. That's the uh, word. But I think there's always a uh, element of people wanting to prove themselves to get back on it. So it's always quite intense. Did you feel like you performed okay? Did you feel like you performed well or underperformed? Bit of both. The first pools I lost all but one. So that was underperforming. The second pools I won all but one. So that was performing much better. I unfortunately got knocked out by a clubmate, Adrian Webb, in my first DE. So I think I came around 30-something. It was a good day. I really enjoyed it. And it was a DE that I was pleased to go out on. Well, at Fencing Stories, we always feel that it's important to have a good day. Fun is what fencing's all about for me. Exactly. And there was some really good fencing going on. Antoine Bellot got the gold medal for the men's epee. Um, Hugo Smith was second. Another result to mention was Alfie Smith, who had a really great day's fencing. Ex-Northampton club mate. He came eighth. He's a young foilist. He's just gone to Nottingham. And he had to beat ex-club member and mentor Stephen Conroy to get there, which made it even more exciting. That is amazing. There's a lot of rivalry (laughs) there. So Stephen will be itching to get back at Alfie for that. Yeah, I can imagine. Any other notable performances? Uh, interestingly, Rachel Lever got a bronze medal in the women's foil. What? Yeah, I know. I didn't know she did foil. But as she's an amazing FAist, apparently she's also an amazing foilist, which makes me feel rubbish. I mean, she's going to get she's going to get silver in the in the sabre as well, isn't she? Yeah, I'm sure. But um, before too long, I, I just don't know enough about foil or sabre to really give any great interesting results about that so i'd really like anybody who's had a performance that they're proud of or a really great experience at a competition please get in contact with us at fencingstories at gmail.com or on our twitter at fencing stories let us know and then we can tell the world about it absolutely please do do that you've been quite busy recently nick haven't you I've been a little bit busy. Are we talking fencing or are we talking talking about fencing? Talking about fencing. That's what we like to do better than fencing. We are epiists. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Yeah, I had a lovely chat with Carol Oliver. Um, She's our interview this week. I think it's a brilliant interview and I look forward to your feedback on it. Is she a real guest? She's real, of course. Brilliant. Not just us talking. We've actually got a real guest. So today's interview is with Carol Oliver. She is on the board of England Fencing and also the president of European Veteran Fencing. So hello, Carol. Hi, Nicholas. How are you? Good to be here. Actually, I'm very well. Thanks very much for asking. So if we start the interview with where did fencing start for you, Carol? (laughs) Fencing started for me uh, many, many moons ago now. I was 12 years old. I was at school at the Lycee in London and my mother used to be a swimmer, so I was swimming. And I got to 12 years old, and they said to me, oh, 12's a bit old to start thinking about things like the Olympics as a swimmer. And so I said, what other sports were available to me that on Saturday mornings, which is when we were swimming? And they said fencing, and off I went, and I've been hooked ever since. So were you desperate to be an Olympian? 
Yes, it was. It was always one of the things that I wanted. That you know, you you set your sights at the pinnacle and and see how far up the ladder you can work your way. How are you now involved in fencing? I wear an awful lot of hats, and um, by choice, uh, I I love it. And I'm involved probably more with the administration of fencing now than than anything else. I've been on recently on the FIE Veterans Council. I am president of European Veterans Fencing, which I love. I was on the board of British Fencing. I stood down because I'd done my two four-year terms, and I'm now on the board of England Fencing as deputy president. And so we're just looking at what we can do. So I have an interesting situation where I'm involved with the veterans, which is forty plus. And now I'm looking at doing stuff and what England fencing is particularly interested in is the grassroots and under 14s. Well, grassroots is definitely what we're all about. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of working both ends of the age scale, which is a quite an interesting combination. Can I ask you about your earlier fencing career and what choices you made, especially with regard to the, the weapon choices that you made? Well, when I started back when God was a child, only women, women could only fence foil. And so I, I, I was only ever taught foil up until probably quite late in my career in terms of a senior fencer, foil was still the only option. And it wasn't until the 80s, really, that Epe became a choice for women and after that, Sabre. So I only fenced foil because that's all I could do. But the minute that Epe became available... I was onto it. And one of the things that I, I particularly liked about Epe was it is a very different thought process. Uh, you, you have a different approach to it. It suited my mindset more than Foyle did. And since then, I've also dabbled a little bit at Sabre, which to me, and, and with apologies to all serious brewers, is a plaything for me. It's, it's a release because it's one of those weapons that I feel is like completely outrageous. I have every admiration for Sabrewers, but I don't treat it very seriously, I'm afraid. I feel that that's similar to me. Obviously, Epe has always been available to me, Mm. but I've made choices along the way that has kind of drawn me. I'm interested Mm. in what you said with regard to mindset as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that, if you can? Yeah, I think... Without oversimplifying it, when when you fence foil, there's a there's a series of actions and reactions. It's it's a different poetry to the poetry of Epe, and it's more like there are standard verses and choices, a different cadence with the weapon. Whereas with Epe, it's it's a little less conformed. It's it's more. I suppose trying to think things through as they happen, because you don't quite know what your opponent is going to do. It's not the same predictable reaction to things. You can provoke a a foil opponent into certain moves. You think, well, I can make them do that or I can create this opportunity. Whereas with Epe, what you tend to do is you, you provoke your opponent, but you don't quite know which way they're going to react. So you have to be able to make choices at a different speed, in a different way, and also that you spend more time with Epe, perhaps not necessarily completing a hit. You will set something up, and if it's not quite working, you'll get out of it. Whereas in foil, you tend to want to try and finish it. 
So with FOIL, what you're saying is it's action reaction to completion, whereas in EPE, it's potentially reaction, reaction, reaction with options. Yes. And and as I say, I don't I don't want any foilists to think that I'm I'm belittling one weapon or another because I, you know, I, I still love watching foil and I get so much pleasure fencing Epe and I get so much enjoyment being involved with Epe. We have a group of, of women who train together called we called funnily enough Epe women. We spend a lot of time working things out together, but not technically how to do a perfect cart repost or something like that, but more a case of identifying when you should be reacting in certain ways. And and I think it's that that I, I really enjoy because it's it's a it's a different thought process. This has got very deep very, very quickly. Let's <laughs> let's lighten it up a little bit. Okay. This fencing podcast is called Fencing Stories. So have you got a story for us? Okay. I will tell you my story. Um in 1976, leading up to the Montreal Olympics, I was training away. I worked for an organization that gave me every Tuesday afternoon off to go to Olympic training. We had a really good group of us that were all uh, training away, working away. There were five people potentially being selected for the team, for the Great Britain team to go to Montreal. And at the same time, uh, my colleagues of mine uh, where I was working were all Australian. At the end of 1975, they all decided that they had to go back home to Australia. They'd done their obligatory trip to Europe. And they kept saying, come to Australia, come to Australia. And I said, I can't. I can't come because I'm training for the Olympics and, you know, this is my priority. Unfortunately, I missed out on a place at the Olympics. I ended up being ranked number six, and there were five on the team. Oh, that's that's so that's so tough. Yeah, it was. But I decided at the time it was it was obviously a sign that I needed to do a little bit something different with my life other than just fencing. So at the end of 1976, I packed up all my toys and I went to Australia. And I spent probably three months in Australia catching up with these friends that I've been working with and you know, doing different things. But within three months, I was desperate to fence. I, I was missing it horribly. And I was also missing the relationship you have with other fencers because we all have the same weird minds. So I sent home to England for my fencing kit and had it sent out got completely sucked into the whole Australian fencing scene, albeit it's not huge. It wasn't huge then, but it was very passionate and it was great. And I just loved it. And I made a circle of friends that I still have today. And it was just one of those things that had I made the Olympic team, I would never have gone to Australia and I would never have had some of the experiences I've had since. Were there any notable events that happened in Australia? Yeah, there were quite a few. One of which was that very shortly after arriving in Australia, um, Melbourne was hosting the World Championships. And I was living in Sydney at the time, and I was persuaded to move to Melbourne in order to work on the World Championships. It was a huge undertaking, as, as it is. It's, it wasn't quite as huge as it is these days, but it was significant. But I was responsible for all the volunteers and, and looking after the, making sure everybody was there to be on the piece and look after everything. 
but I was the only member of the of the organizing committee that had an office. So I was also the place where all the Russians um, kept all the weapons and all the other things that they regularly brought out of Russia to sell to all the Western fences in my office. So my office became the trading point for all the equipment there. Um, and it, it was just, it was fun. It was one of those things that you did. And, and in those days, they, they all wanted Western goods. They wanted, you know, blue jeans. They wanted, um, or they wanted Western currency. So all of that was going on. Um, some of the other things were that I, I did start doing quite well. I got, uh, got to represent Australia on the FIE Propaganda Commission. I won Oceania Championships. We travelled a lot around the Oceania region, which was interesting and fun. And in the end, I, I mean, I spent 30 years of my life there. We set up a business and then I came back to England to be involved with running the London Olympics 30 years later. Was that a good grounding, the stuff that you did in Australia for helping with the Olympics later? It was. It was, it was about the administration. Um, I, was, I was heavily involved w- with the administration of the sport. I was on the, on the board of Fencing Victoria. I was on the board of the Australian Fencing Federation. I was on a couple of other boards to do with my work, which were tourism related. So, yes, I had a, an, an incredibly strong grounding in governance, in management, in sport organisation, in running events, all of those things. So, yes, it, it all contributed to getting the job with the London Olympics as the services manager. So I came back and I was looking after all the volunteers, all the um, uh, contractual arrangements with the FIE and and looking after the, the the different aspects of what we had to deliver and one of the biggest jobs i had was to make sure i got all the right meals organized for all the all the um officials so more recently carol i understand something's happened with the uh, european veterans fencing and you've managed to persuade the fie to to do something we have this is this has been a, a work of many many years of effort one of the anomalies that's been happening is that while veterans fencing in Europe and in most other regions in the world is starting at 40 and going up to whatever age after that, the one event that only starts at 50 and doesn't include the 40-year-olds has been the World Championships. And part of the reason for that is that the Veteran World Championships kind of grew organically it started off as a very small thing it got a little bit bigger it then introduced a team event under pressure from the fencers it started to do things and started to recognize the size of the cohort of veterans fencing the number of veterans fencers that there are continues to grow continues to be a a huge force of people who want to go on fencing in their older age. I think that's common across quite a few events because also in athletics yep. and park run has become very, very popular. Yeah. But world records are, are falling really quickly for different age groups in running events. Yep, exactly. And, and older people are beginning to really want to have those things and appreciate the fact that they're available to them. The beauty of fencing is that you can fence until you're 90. So going on with all of those things, we just felt that 
excluding the 40-year-olds from the World Championships was wrong. And we worked on it and we worked on it. And I suppose it's taken about five or six years to get the case strong enough for the FIE to support it. They've not been really anti it. They've just not been bothered. And it's only now that they're starting to see the sort of numbers. But the most significant part of it is that the lot of fencers who are senior fencers now, who have recently been at Olympics, are in their mid to late 30s. And they were facing a hiatus where they potentially were too old to be senior fencers or starting to be pushed out by the younger fencers in senior teams. But they didn't have a pathway where they could move on to another category and another age group. So we were very, very keen to have the 40-year-olds included. We took as an example what we have done in Europe. And in Europe, we have 40-plus fencing and veterans competitions. And it's organized into the age groups of 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70-plus. But we also have a team event, which is based on the fact that there are veterans and grand veterans. And the veterans are 40s and 50s, and the grand veterans are 60s and 70s. And the idea being that you have teams at both those age groups, they perform as proper teams. And the current format of the team events for the World Championships was a little bit different and a little bit obscure in some ways. And it didn't follow the way that teams work in every other part of our sport. So those two things were really, really important to us. And we finally got a proposal through the Congress just before I left the Veterans Council. But I still claim credit for it because I wrote it. I was delighted that they voted in favour for it at the most recent Congress, and it will be implemented by 2025. So I'm sure nobody would uh, have a problem with you claiming credit. (laughs) It's the most important thing is that it's it's opened a door for fences that were previously closed. And and I'm so pleased for them. But I would love it to be implemented sooner, but it can't. Um, The the U.S. are hosting the Veterans Championships this year. And they have said that they can't now reconfigure their venue to allow for the extra numbers. Well, that seems that seems only fair. People do need a bit of notice for these changes. Yep, absolutely. Carol, what, what's next for you then? A number of things. Um, one of the big issues that's on my mind at the moment is the issue of numbers of fences. We have the individual European Veterans Championships coming up in May we are expecting up to 2,000 fences to turn up. With those sort of numbers, it means we have very, very limited choices about where we can hold these events because you need a huge number of pieces and you need a huge organising committee to make it all happen. I'm guessing you also need a huge number of hotel rooms. Yes, yes, there, there is that. We're looking at what we can do and how we can do it. One of the things I've recently introduced is the Veterans Circuit. And the Veterans Circuit is a series of competitions in various countries around Europe from which you can earn ranking points. And as a result of getting those ranking points, we then award an Fencer of the Year 
a European Veterans Fencer of the Year in each age group and each weapon. And we award that during the um, European Championships. And because we introduced this just before COVID hit, last year in 22, we had the European Team Championships in Hamburg. And it was the first time we were able to award the medals, the Fencer of the Year medals, in person. And on the first day we did it, everybody was sort of, oh, what's this, a bit ho-hum. By the second day, the word had got around that this was a bit special, and it was really quite exciting. The fencers were really excited to get medals to say that they were the best fencer in Europe. And so it's kind of now got some momentum behind it. And we're starting to see more countries now want to host circuit events. More people want to participate in them. We just had one of the circuit events in Guildford last weekend with you know a good big entry both from here and and throughout Europe. And one of the things that came out at the last World Championships was that European fencers got about two-thirds of the medals from the whole competition. All of a sudden, fencers from outside the European region are asking to come and participate in our circuit events because they can see the value of training and fencing with these guys. I have seen on various social channels people being quite excited that they've suddenly got a European veterans fencing ranking it's definitely it's definitely excited and energized them I can definitely see have you got any notable thank yous is there anybody you'd like to pick out perhaps from earlier in your in your fencing career it's very difficult there's so many people that have been involved I think what I would like to do is thank in particular the guys that I work with now for European veterans fencing there's a Frenchman called Benoit Passmai who looks after all the championships. And there's an Italian called Leonardo Patti who looks after the circuit competitions. And between the three of us, uh, we are delivering a huge change for European fencers. And I couldn't do it without those two guys and the, the efforts that they put in. So more than anything else, I probably thank them because... Without them, I couldn't be achieving what we're achieving now. So, Carol, to finish off with, I'd like you to try and identify our Screamer of the Month. So I'm going to play you three separate screams, and I'd like you to try and identify which one you think is the fencing screen. So which one did you think it was, Carol? Okay. I believe that it was probably the middle one. Well done. Hey! Well done. (laughs) I've obviously spent far too much time around fencing halls. Well, thank you very much, Carol. It's been lovely to speak to you. It's been lovely to learn, learn about you, and it's been lovely to hear your story. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Jason, you haven't heard Screamer of the Month yet, but it's your turn. So, do you think it was Scream 1, 2, or Scream 3? It's it's hard to tell. I am going to opt for 3 just because the background, background noise also sounded like fencing. So, I'm going for 3. So, Jason... You're wrong! Oh, for would you like to know what it was? Which one? 
It was number two. Carol got it correct. And the one you chose was a goat. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, many of the fences I fence with sound like goats, so I'll take that. Perfect. Perfect. Did you... uh, did anybody say anything about the podcast to you when you were at Cambridge? They did. I was a minor celebrity there, very minor. I had two or three people give me some great feedback there, enjoying the podcast, enjoying listening to something about fencing. So it's really positive. And anybody who wants to say hello, please do, if you see either me or Nick out on the circuit. Perfect. I've also been monitoring the number of downloads that we've had, and I'm very, very pleased. I feel like it's going very, very well. I think any more than five is going to blow our expectations out of the water. Well, prepare to be shocked. I'm not going to say the number, but I'm very, very pleased. It's more than five. How was Christmas from a fencing perspective, Jason? Did you get any fencing goodies? Yeah, I got some jogging bottoms that can go under my breeches to hopefully make me look more like a professional fencer i've seen lots of the really good fencers wear those so that was me what about you nick did you get any good presents yeah my, my wife ruthie she bought me a, a three blades jacket a piece jacket that it's only indoors it doesn't need to be splash proof particularly <laughs> so i'm glad but it, it's nice and warm it's very big it's going to fit over my jacket which is perfect and it's got my name on it which is even better brilliant that sounds like a really good gift um, so it's, yeah, I was very happy. It's got your name and your club. Yeah, well, one of my clubs. Um, Three Blades is where I'm currently getting coached. Okay, and it's my my current currently in my top five favorite clubs. And where, <laughs> top six favorite clubs. Is that the six clubs you're visiting at the minute? At the moment, I'm quite nomadic. I've visited four clubs in the last two weeks. I, I w- hence why I don't want to say favorite. <laughs> So you don't get soundly beaten at the next club you go to if they weren't your number one. I just don't want to get kicked out. I want the opportunity to fence. I'm going to buy you a peace jacket that says the Lone Ranger on the back then if you're taking this nomadic lifestyle to fencing. Do you not think there's a space for some merchandise saying Nomad Fencing Club? A, A roving club? Yeah. If you want to do the London Marathon, you have to be a member of an athletic club. Yeah. And although you don't in fencing, do you? You can just turn up as unattached. But I feel like the Nomad Fencing Club, there's there's room there. And even better, it, it's invite only. Yeah, an exclusive, exclusive club that's invite only. Well, you've heard it here. Nick, what have you got coming up in the future? There's some interesting competitions coming up. Where are you off to next? Uh, this weekend, I am pl- very pleased to say that I'm attending the Professor Duffy Memorial Epe Team Competition with Oliver Massey, who you heard about last month on the podcast. And also in my team, I have the eminent Michael Ramsden, the elderly tornado that he is in my team. <laughs> Very much looking forward to it. Our team name, are you ready? Go on. The Three Blades of Abnor. The Three Blades of Abnor. Uh, I'm Three Blades. Michael's Northampton and Oliver's Aberystwyth. Brilliant. I was about to start asking which fantasy series I was ignorant of there, but this sounds much better. The Three Blades of Abnor. What's the format for the team competition? It's an Olympic relay, 45 hits or or multiples of three minutes. So I think we get nine fights, 45 hits, not 45 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Three lots of, nine lots of three. So it should be, it's about an hour for each match. 
that wow. takes place. And are you fencing to every place or for medals? In the past, because there's been teams come from America, there's also several teams from Germany. So to go all that way and to get knocked out in the first round is a bit a bit of a rum deal. So I think normally they do go to every place. Uh, and I've checked the... I've managed to get a list of entries and there's some German teams. There's an Italian team coming over again. Even a Northampton fencing club team. There is. I was hoping to be able to get a place this year, but that's, alas. How do you find travelling and fencing? Have you got any particular stories to do with that? When we did the Duffy before, I know that Paul Wilmot lost his kit on a flight on the way back. Luckily, it's never happened to me. We've travelled Eurostar to Germany. Uh, that was tricky, but we everything got sorted out eventually. And uh, yeah, just flights in the past. Uh, fencing kit technically is not a sport. Fencing is not a sport as far as the airlines are concerned because it's not major <laughs> enough. So when when they ask me, is it sporting equipment? I might not always. <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to it, Jason. Really, I'm always excited by this competition. It's always friendly. It's the ambiance is great. The people that you meet, and then after fencing, you know, it's been known for us to go out for a few beers together catch up with my German friends and my Irish friends. It's wonderful. I mean, that's part of what fencing's about, isn't it? It's the social side, catching up with people that you haven't seen for a while, making friends on the piste. Absolutely. This is is what Fencing Stories is all about. I've got a massive smile on my face. (laughs) Well, let's hope someone else does too. Listening. Jason, tell me about events that are coming up in the calendar in the next couple of weeks or so. So it's quite a busy start to the year. We've got a quite a few competitions coming up at Leon Pool. They're running their various opens for Epe, Foil and Sabre. The men's Epe is actually this coming weekend. Then there's the Elites happening in Moulton on the 4th of February. Actually, before that, we have the London Region Winter Competition at Ealing, which is a really nice, friendly competition for somebody looking for a smaller competition it's non-ranked for novices and intermediate so that's on the 29th of january an interesting competition coming up that i'm looking forward to is the leon paul mixed pairs which is a new competition happening on the 18th of february for one male and one female epaist so i'm hoping to get into that with my wife and maybe we can she can bring me up to we can get a good result she's been doing well hasn't she recently she's a top 50 fencer i mean you can't argue with that well, that's tricky. Very tricky to argue. <laughs> Especially when I'm not a top 50 fencer. So. Um, other competitions coming up is the Mercia Open, another new competition, which is on the 19th of February, the Sunday. So the Mercia Open, is that outside top 100? For the men's categories, it's outside the top 100. But for the women's categories, it's outside the top 50. It's three weapons. Perhaps you can take Millie and she'll uh, give you some coaching tips. I am in the top 100 just, so luckily I can't do it. I love it when I can't do a competition because my ranking has excluded me. (laughs) Jason, have you got any competitions that you're attending yourself? Um, There's a couple, but I've got a lot of weapons that need fixing at the minute, so I'm not getting too serious until I've sorted those out. Do you look after your own armoury? No, we have a club armourer. I'm I'm pretty bad at that kind of stuff. What about you? Do you have any weapon faults at the minute that you're trying to deal with? I've uh, just done a rewire this morning. I did have a tricky issue connecting the wires to the socket, but there's a Facebook group called Ask the Armourer. Oh, wow. Really handy. If you've got a tricky problem or perhaps you can't quite find 
where the fault might be on your multimeter if you've if you've got one then it's it's worth checking with those chaps because they they are quite experienced and if there's a fault that they don't know about they're going to be excited to understand that there's a new fault out there that they haven't seen is this a very knowledgeable group definitely i wouldn't myself <laughs> suggest any solutions i feel i'd be intimidated by the quality of of information that's on there it's it's not for the casual advisor make sure you know your stuff Anybody that wants to let us know about any competitions that we can help promote, please get in touch via our email, fencingstories at gmail.com or on Twitter at fencingstories. So I think that's about wraps it up, Jason. I think so. I think we've covered some news from the fencing world, keeping people up to date. Good to hear about Alfie. Yeah, uh, he's just going from strength to strength. And he's quite a nice guy too, so doubly irritating. Just one last thing. I'm going to be recording some stuff from Dublin, so that will go into this podcast too. Looking forward to seeing the results from that competition. It's been great to catch up with you again, Jason. You too, Nick. Good luck, and I'll speak to you next time. Can I have a pint of Guinness, please? Of course you can. Thank you very much. So I'm here with James Barden at the day start day of the Duffy Memorial Epe, which I'm very excited about. James, which club are you from? I'm from UCD and I train with Brian Brew as well. So um, there's two Brian Brew fencing entries for this one. Tell me about Brian Brew. So Brian Brew train with the Pentathletes. They were formed, I think, around 2013 um, to bring more fencers into training with the uh, Pentathlon Ireland crew um, so that we could improve the standard of fencing and pentathlon fencing oh, in so Ireland. particularly FA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're I an FA only club and we've had um, two official coaches over those years. The first was uh, Radu Andres from Romania and now we've got Daniel Burke from uh, America and uh, yeah, we train Monday, Wednesday and Saturday all with the pentathletes and with the uh, individual fencers themselves. And then I understand Brian Brewer is also a bit of a historical character. Was he a fencer? I mean, he's a fencer as much as any swordsman is a fencer, but he was not a, a like a foil or FA fencer. He was one of the... He was a Sabra. <laughs> no, not quite. I mean, closer. Um, he was a high king of Ireland, so he fought with... I, I'd imagine broadswords, but I'm not entirely sure of uh, the type of sword that he would have used. Or uh, maybe even more like a, a Viking sword, but um, I'm not the one to really ask for it. Well, James, <laughs> thanks very much. Thanks for speaking to us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm here with Paul Wilmot. We're at the Duffy. Paul, how many times have we been here? 10, 12 times over the years, isn't it? Why do we come? Because of the competitive element of fencing, fencing internationally, making new friends from around Europe, saying that we actually compete abroad. Uh, these are things a lot of people can't say that they do on a day-to-day basis. And are you, you happy with your team? Extremely happy with the team. I've got two young, keen, experienced fencers who, who are still up and coming. Well, best of luck today, Paul. Thank you very much. So now I'm here with Abdul, just before the start of the Duffy. Abdul, tell me about these passivity rules. I need to know. Uh, so there's a new passivity rules that essentially state that uh, in the eventuality you get to a minute, rather than go to the next round or anything like that, you end up, um, the person who's down gets a yellow card, or both get a yellow card if you're equal. You get to get two yellow cards before you start getting reds. 
uh, and I think after like, two reds you get a black. Uh, but the whole the whole setup's a bit rubbish really, trying to encourage defensive fences to attack. Does that mean um, you could lose the final on a black card? Technically yes, which I think is a bit ridiculous all things considered. Wow. Thanks Abdul, thanks so much. I'm going to use all of that information in my next battle. I'm here with Abdul the day after the silver medal of the Professor Duffy. Can we have your reflections please? Well, the way you say silver, reflections aren't as, as positive as they otherwise would have been. But um, happy at the success, disappointed that we didn't quite clench it. What was the score um, in the final? The score was 37-45. Uh, um, we, were, we were trailing by about 10 points coming into the final. Um, so, you know, it was... The, the other team put on a really solid performance. Every one of their fights, I think. They either held or gained just marginal points. Um, and that's the key, isn't it, in team? Just yeah. to push through, get that extra point here, go from 10 points up to 11 points up. That's it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's very tempting, I think, in a team uh, match to try heroics. Um, and it looks spectacular. Uh, but, you know, realistically, that's not how you're going to churn the results. It has to be quite boring. You have to be quite... Um, Rounded. And it's tricky to chase, isn't it? It's tricky yeah. to chase a result. You're behind, you're chasing, and, and you're forced to do things that you don't really want to do. Odds are, if you're chasing, you know, you know, even you can bring it back, but you've got to be bold. Um, and if if you do it, you can probably do it once or maybe twice in the competition. But if that's your strategy, you will lose in the end. This is the best result that Northampton's had, I believe. Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Um, yeah, I think. I think, it's, I think you mentioned previously it was sixth. Fifth or sixth. Fifth or sixth. Yeah, about years ten, ten years ago, I think. Yeah, but um, yeah, and that way we're really chuffed, um, very happy. And uh, I guess looking on to the rest of the season and next year for uh, you know, even better outcomes. Well, best of luck. Thanks very much, Abdul. Cheers, thank you. So I'm here with Michael Ramsden from the Three Blades of Abnor, who was on, the, we were on a team together. So, Michael, what were your reflections on yesterday? Uh, well, I think it, it started reasonably slowly, but a great atmosphere. Uh, we had a great team. Um, we have different strengths, and certainly for me, I thought my strengths came through in the afternoon. But uh, some very tough fights and some good wins, and some uh, no very bad losses. So pretty happy. Yeah, all of our all of our losses, we we reached 40, and our wins, some of which were quite comfortable. So. Well done. I appreciate your work. I thought you did really, really well in the afternoon. I thought we worked very well as a team. Thank Magic. you. Thanks, Michael. Goodbye from Fencing Story.